0: And before I begin jumping into the passage, let me just ask um, a question. Um, you guys are all Americans, you know, and just a couple of weeks ago, we had a holiday celebrating our Americanness, right, celebrating uh, the founding of our country, 4th of July. So let me just ask you guys, you know, uh, younger generation, what do you think is like, what is like the... Mm, or, like, the essence of being an American. What, what, what comes to mind? Fried food? Fried food. McDonald's? Fried food. McDonald's. Freedom. 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 Freedom? What else? White picket fence? I said God, guns, and gold. <laughs> How about God, guns, God, and Trump? <laughs> <laughs> and Trump? Um, I, I think I've seen that two times in some water. Gold, God, guns, and gold. Liberty. Obama. Obama? No. You know, a funny story, when, when I was in, um, I was in Kenya, and, uh, we were in the cab drive coming back, so I was finally, like, en route to coming home, right? I was tired, just wanted to get there, and we're driving on some dirt road, and they had a roadblock out, and this guy, the AK-47, comes to the car, and talking to the cab driver, and the cab driver looked a little, kind of like, this is weird, why do they ask him to look at our stuff, and... And then, like, he's kind of, like, looks at me. He's like, do any of you Americans have a passport? And I just have mine in my pocket because I was so paranoid about losing it. So I always had it close. And so, here you go. And he's, like, looking at it all suspiciously. He's kind of just keeps looking back and forth. And he's just like, America, huh? I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> and he's like, well, you tell Obama he's welcome back any <laughs> 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 then You could go. And... uh I, that really gave me a good chuckle. I thought, then he started smiling, and he was like, yeah, get out of here. But, uh, anyway, Obama. So, okay, America, right? I think, like, Taco Bell, you know, I think fireworks. Um, so so more than just kind of like pop culture, what are some of the values of America? Freedom. freedom. Liberty, religious freedom. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, Right. Um. Now, I, I bring that up because you guys have been saying it a little bit, actually, um, this idea of freedom. I, I think that's a, that's a pretty big value and thing about Americans. It's like, we really value our freedom, right? And so tonight, what I want to do, we've been, kind of the whole summary, we've been talking about the gospel. Now, let me just say about the gospel, the gospel is like a diamond, it's multifaceted, where... You know, where you can just gaze at it from different angles, and it, it talks about different things. And, and um, what is the gospel has been our, our biggest concern, right? A lot of times people have a hard time really defining what the gospel is. And we've defined it, we've spent time with it. Last week we talked about not being ashamed of it and preaching it, because it has the power to save people who believe. Um, but the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about what, what should the gospel produce? What should the gospel do in us? right and and there's a lot I could say and, and again like I feel like every week I'm being like just skimming the surface right just there's so much to the gospel it's 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 shallow enough for even the youngest of minds to enter and to believe but deep, and, deep enough for even the brightest of minds to tread right the gospel is so rich it, it is it is the not just the ABCs that we said the A through Z And so with that said, I want to spend the next three weeks in the youth group talking about three things that the gospel should produce. Freedom, rest, and joy. Freedom, rest, and joy. So the gospel, when we are trusting in Christ through faith and we we realize that we have the forgiveness of sins, we are endowed with the Holy Spirit who applies the gospel. We are free to rest, and to rejoice. And tonight, what I want to talk about is freedom. So let me read the passage for us. I'll pray, then we'll talk a little bit about what we think freedom is and what the Bible defines freedom really as. So let's look at this passage Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again in every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you who have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this portion of your word. I ask, God, that you would help us to understand the freedom that we have in Christ, and that we may live in it, and that we may rejoice and rest, knowing that Christ has finished it, that the finished work of Christ should be our ultimate rest and our ultimate joy. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, freedom, right? We, we like the idea of freedom. We like the idea of when I get my driver's license and I have my car, I'm finally going to be free. When I graduate and I move off one day, whether I go to college or the, the day I, I move in with a roommate, I'm finally free from the tyranny of having to do what my parents tell me to do, right? We like the idea of being able to do whatever we want to do. And to be honest, that's exactly what I think a lot of times we as Americans believe freedom to be. Freedom of religion is the freedom to not have anyone bother us when we are worshiping. The freedom to practice my faith in all aspects of my life, right? But I think we struggle a little bit when it comes to freedom because ultimately we live in a culture and we pick up a worldview in which we learn instinctively that I don't want anyone telling me how to live my life, what to do. I don't want an overly, you know, pushy boss. I want Just give me my space, leave me alone, and that's what freedom is right? And unfortunately, sometimes that idea creeps in to the Christian faith. And last week I talked a little bit about warring against this idea, and the last couple weeks too, and the whole series really is about this, is this idea of easy believism. That all I have to do to be a Christian is simply kind of mentally assent to these ideas that, oh yeah, Jesus died for me, and he loves me, and he's for me, and... I'm going to go to heaven one day, and it's going to be really awesome, and in the meantime, I guess I'll learn a few things, and I'll kind of hang out with my friends at youth group, and yippee, yippuree, right? That's the Christian faith. But really, the gospel has so much more than that. The gospel has demands. The gospel has what we call imperatives, that if then, then this— Right, All through the New Testament we see this reality that if you have died with Christ and you've been buried with Christ and you've been raised with Christ where you have this new union with him through faith your life changes. Because once you were lost now you are found. Once you were dead now you are alive. Once you were enslaved to sin but now you have been set free a lot of times, can I be honest, this freedom, this grace is used as a license to sin. None of us, I think, maybe every once in a while, I don't want to say none of us, um, but I, I think, generally speaking, none of us intentionally go into a sin and say, I know this is wrong, I don't care that it's wrong, I'll just pray for forgiveness later. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there might be someone, and maybe in times where I've done that. But typically, we have this struggle. We have this temptation. We know it's wrong. and We're fighting against it. And whether that, that struggle lasts five seconds or five hours, we somehow, eventually, when we do sin, we give into that temptation. We feel bad. We ask for forgiveness. We accept God's grace. But the problem is, is a lot of times, when we think about Christianity, when we think about Christ dying for us, we kind of just interpret it as, okay, I was really, really bad. I was going to hell. Jesus saved me, and now he kind of just set me back on the, the right course. And then he says, go fly, little butterfly. Just go live your life. And I just want to tell you that biblically speaking, the Christian faith means that when you repent and you put your faith in Christ, you are in essence saying, I will no longer live for my kingdom anymore. I am entering into God's kingdom. I am now a citizen of the kingdom of God. And as a citizen of the kingdom of God, I must act and live as a true citizen. And so when you think about the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That really becomes the heartbeat of someone who is daily repenting. You see, again, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I'll just bring it up uh, as a long way of introduction to this passage. Even the demons believe that Jesus died. The devil has better theology than me and you. It's not enough to simply just say you believe these things. What the Bible talks about is this idea of faith and repentance. And repentance is literally saying, I now align my allegiances with Jesus. I used to serve my flesh, the devil, the world. I did everything against the will of God. I sinned against him, I sinned against my creator, but now he has saved me in Christ. I'm now repenting, and I will now serve God. I will accept the forgiveness he has for me. I am adopted into his family, and I am now free to serve and to love him. And so let me just really quickly give you the definition of what Christian freedom is. Ready? Christian freedom is the ability to stop living for yourself and living for God. in a very simple way. Christian freedom is ending the tyranny of having to live for myself, but now living for God. So in this great passage that Paul is saying in Galatians, and Galatians is a great book, what he is saying is not what typically we think of freedom. We think of freedom as the ability to be able to do whatever I want. Paul has something exactly opposite in mind. And so what I want to do is briefly go over this passage and tie in some practical applications at the end. But here's where I I want to structure this this, uh, message. Paul's going to show us what we are freed from, and then he's going to show us what we are freed for. And we'll tie it all together at the very end. So, Paul, starting in the third section of this book, the first section is all about Paul's kind of giving his biography, his own story. Chapters three and four, Paul gets very theological. You know, he's kind of making his big, you know, case in point. And chapters five and six, he's pulling it all together. And here's the problem that these little Galatians believers are, are facing they are thinking. That in order to be a faithful Christian, in order to be someone who God really cares about, that they have to believe in Jesus, but they also have to do these certain Jewish things, namely circumcision. Not really our struggle. Okay, I get that, right? How many of us are saying like, "Man, I just, I'm so tempted to think that I must get circumcised in order for God to accept me." Nope, not us, right? But don't worry, we'll, we'll contextualize a little bit, okay? But, but here really is the issue. Christ plus. Jesus plus. Okay? Remember the illustration? I talked about my little daughter swimming. Mm-hmm. She was jumping, and she got close to the pool, but she didn't jump when I wasn't there. To signify that the only faith we have is that Christ is going to catch us. But in essence, what they were doing is Christ, but also there's a floating over there, and that might catch me too. Right? They, 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 they wanted something more than just Christ. And so Paul now comes to his big point where he's trying to tell them, hey guys, there's more to this. And so here's what he says, verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So Paul is giving them a warning. He's saying, hey guys, Listen. The very reason Christ came and died was to set you free. Don't go back to the tyranny of slavery. Slavery is horrible. But our question has to be this. What slavery? Slavery to what? Look at verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated, no, key point right here, to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Paul is trying to make the point through the whole book of Galatians that as because of Christ, we no longer have to rely on our religious works to make us right with God. So every time the Bible mentions the law, right? Paul mentions it a few times here, right? He says, If if you accept circumcision, you are obligated to keep the whole law. The temptation for Christians in the first century was to still act Jewish. That God is only gonna bless me if I obey the laws perfectly. God is only gonna be pleased with me if I do all the things written in the law of Moses. Now here's the thing when it comes to law. Sometimes we, we can maybe take an imperative or a command in scripture and make it a law. But a law is something that is an expectation. It's a burden that's put on you. And sometimes that's explicitly said, don't have sex before marriage. Don't watch R-rated movies. Don't listen to this kind of music. Don't drink and drive. Those are all law, right? It's telling you to do something. But sometimes they're implicit. Sometimes it's not maybe said, but maybe it's kind of picked up in the culture that if people are really going to like you, you have to wear this type of clothes. And if people are going to, can I get you in the in crowd? You have to act and talk a certain way. You have to to look and do these things. You have to have these kind of things. You have to have this type of social media presence, right? And we we instinctively feel all the time this pressure to have to do this, to have to do that. If I really want to be a good Christian, I must come to youth group faithfully. I must come to the book study. I must come to summer camp. I must... XYZ. XYZ, right? Now, here's the thing. Sometimes, law is good. We need to be told don't drink and drive. We need to be told to not have sex before marriage. But here's the thing, what Paul's trying to make a point about. If you think that by following these laws explicitly and implicitly, Christ is no advantage to you. Christ has set you free from having to obey these laws. In essence, we can never perfectly obey the law. That's the whole story of the Bible. If you read the Old Testament, God gives us law on a mountain, and literally two seconds later, they break just about every single one of them. And again and again, cycle after cycle, generation after generation, what did the Israelites do? They break the law horribly. God would send in a prophet. The prophet would be like, yo, you people are messed up. Do justice. Which meant for them, obey the law. And they never did. But something that Christ did, when he came and he died on the cross, he fulfilled the entire law. He kept every single command. Everything that God commanded, he kept, jot and tittle. And he says, it is now in my perfect righteousness, which is yours by faith, that you can be accepted by God. And so what Paul is trying to tell them is this. You are set free from the burden and the responsibility to trying to achieve your own goodness. From your own rightness. You don't have to. And this is bleeding into what we'll talk about next week, but resting. Resting does not imply work. Resting does not imply labor and toil and struggle. Resting implies enjoying. And so Paul is trying to tell these Galatian believers who are tempted to think that their spirituality and their walk with God it's based on their obeying laws. You're free from that. Imagine you were a slave and your entire life you lived in tyranny of your slave master. And he would yell at you and he would demand things of you and he would punish you and he would make you feel ashamed And your entire life any time your your taskmaster your, your slave owner would come come around you would you would fear you would be ashamed of yourself but then one day someone comes in and says hey I purchased you I bought you you're mine emancipation is yours come rest and rejoice You are now mine. I own you. And you now have a new master. For this master, he's kind. And he's given you everything of his house. And he's promised you the inheritance of his own family. And he's made you one of his own. And he's promised you all the good things, right? It's a pretty sweet deal. But the problem is, is that one day you're out in the field and you hear your old Taskmaster. You hear your old slave owner, and you hear him yelling, and you hear him bossing people around, and your entire life you have this PTSD, and you, again, just by hearing his voice, become fearful and scared and ashamed. That is a lot like the picture that Paul paints in Galatians 5 between the wrestling of the spirit and the flesh between the wrestling of living under the law or living under grace and by faith. We have been set free from the burden of having to please God by our own works. Okay, guys, listen, listen. We are freed. Jesus said, it is finished. I have accomplished it. My perfect righteousness, it is yours by faith. Simply by believing and trusting, by repentance, you have it all. You have the perfect righteousness of Christ. God now sees you through the lens of his own son. And Paul, I mean, in in no unclear terms, says, if you think for a second that your own goodness will get you anywhere with God, Christ is of no advantage to you. He does nothing to you. It can't be anything, mostly Jesus, but also I'm really going to try to do really good over here. Now, I think this point, what I'm saying here, we we talk about this a lot in youth group. We talk about this a lot in church. Grace. But Paul also has something to say. Not just what we're freed from, but what we are freed for. Look at verse 5. For through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's pick up a little bit in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are freed from the burden to have to make yourself right with God. But listen, guys. You have been saved. You have been bought. You have been chosen. You have been made free for the purpose of serving God in love. Serving God in love. Let me give you an interesting paradigm here. As a Christian, I am free. I am free to do a lot of things. I'm free to go to this college or go to that college. I am free to buy this car or that car. I am free to date this person or that person. I am even free to sin. I am free to sin. But Paul here... Says, even though we have Christian freedom, because again, I don't have to worry for a second that God is ever going to, you know, disown me or not allow me based on my righteousness, right? I'm free because of what Christ has done. But with this freedom, here's what you should use it for to serve one another, to love your neighbor as yourself. You guys, listen. Christ did not condescend into humanity. Live the perfect life of righteousness. Die the horrible death on the cross. Raise again from the third day. Commission his disciples to go make disciples just for us to hear the gospel message, accept the goodness of it, and to never do anything again with it. In Christ, we have freedom. But this freedom is designed for us to actually go and live out what the law intends. Kind of interesting, right? Don't rely on the law because if you rely on the law, Christ is of no advantage to you. But if you trust by him in faith and you accept his free gift of grace and his righteousness, you are free from from having to sin. But now, use this freedom... To obey the law. Very fascinating, right? So, so let me just give you a, a thing here, right? If, 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 and I talk about this a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to draw it out a little bit more here. The law cannot produce what it demands. If I say, don't do this, you might try for a second not to do it, right? Again, the taskmaster says, you know, with the whip, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, right? And you're fearful. But maybe when the the taskmaster isn't looking around. Maybe when you forget, you go and you do it. And you do it again. And you do it again. And you do it again. But then you're set free. And you know what the, the beautiful part of being set free is that Jesus breaks the chains of canceled sin. He breaks the power of sin over your life so that instead of having to choose sin every single time, we now have the ability to choose righteousness, to choose service, to choose love. So, so here's what I'm saying. The law cannot produce what, law, what it demands, but the gospel can. Um, let me give you an illustration. Imagine you're at the ocean and you're maybe like a, you know, your feet are in the water, maybe it's like up to your shins and you bend down and the waves are kind of coming in slowly and you can imagine that. You bend down and you, and you try to dig a hole in the sand. And as quick as you dig that hole, water just fills it right back up. The sand comes right back. You dig, you dig, you dig, maybe you get a, you know, a second, and then the water just fills it right back up. That is a lot like God's grace in our life. As much as we try to sin, as much as we lean away from God, for those who are trusting in Christ, His grace is already leaning in. His grace is already overflowing all of our sin. We we cannot run away from God's grace. It it is simply like the ocean running over all the holes we're trying to dig. Let me tell you something. When you recognize this type of love, this type of forgiveness, what Christ has done for you, here's what it produces. I don't actually have to do anything to earn God's love. It's just given to me. That is what grace is. And guys, listen. I've been using this illustration a lot recently. But if you found $25,000, would I have to convince you to be excited? You won't have to convince me. And guys, listen. Listen. When you begin to recognize this grace, this freedom that Christ has given you, what it produces is a heart that desires to love God, to obey Him, to serve Him. And so freedom, therefore, is not an opportunity to do what I want. Rather, can I just tell you, freedom breaks us from the curse of having to live for ourselves. Freedom in Christ means that I no longer serve my kingdom, but I serve Jesus' kingdom. And what is Jesus' kingdom all about? It says it right here. But through love, serve one another. Did you guys catch the uniqueness of verse 14? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why is that unique? Because typically when we hear... The law being fulfilled, typically when we hear the great commandment, we, we, we hear it in two parts. Love the Lord your God by your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? That makes sense? Why is it that Paul here only says the law is fulfilled in one way? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I think it's evident that the greatest way that we actually love God is by loving our neighbor. And so let's, 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 let's tie this bill up a little bit here. What, what does this passage mean for high schoolers now? One, it means this, that Christ gave you a costly gift and has given you freedom from sin, from death, from the devil, in order that you may fully fulfill the law's demands of loving your neighbor. And so I just have to ask, if someone is truly trusting in Christ and repenting from their sins, do you see a freedom in your life of having to make everything about you? In your conversations with people, in your friendships, in your decisions, in your family, are you always thinking about what you can get and you being right and you getting your own way? The gospel frees us from having to make it all about us. We now see that Jesus is our creator. He is our Lord. He is our our master. He is the good shepherd who has bought us and he has called us and he has given us freedom now to not always have to make life about us. And he's now commissioned us to live in this freedom, to go and to serve one another. And so many times, guys, let me just say, even today I was driving and I, and I find myself stuck thinking in this, in this world of fantasy where I'm the hero, where everyone else is out against me, but, but I'm the one who's going to be this, the, the savior of the day, right? There, there's so many times on my day-to-day basis, I'm constantly thinking about making my life more comfortable, about making my life more fun, about making my life more easy. But that's just going right back into slavery. Of having to make life all about me. But instead, Paul says, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. And so my question to you is this. Do you also recognize that for someone who is trusting and resting in the finished work of Christ, that Jesus has demands on your life? That none of these demands, none of these commands, none of the things that we tell you, we would ever say make you have a relationship with God, make you right with Him. But all we are recognizing that is if you are in Christ, if Christ is now your life, if you're now aligning with Christ, then you must also then live for Him. You must also now die with Him. You must also now take His principles, His priorities, well, the things that he loves, the things that he hates, and you make it your own. You guys, can I just tell you, it is really, really easy to come to church week in, week out, hear a few things, fill the tank, kind of think that Jesus loves me, you pee, and we leave. And Monday through Saturday, nothing really changes. But Christ came and gave a costly gift in order to break the bonds of sin, to break the punishment of it. No longer do we have to worry about death, that we're promised resurrection and eternal life. We are now called and commissioned to serve one another in love. We are saved from the tyranny of self-salvation for the purpose of serving each other in love. that That is the heart of God. That is the heart of the gospel. That one of the things that Jesus really, really wants from us is to be free from our sin, to be free from having to feed the ego. And so let me just apply this in one more way. we will be done. Is there an, a habitual sin in your life? Is there a sin in your life where you don't even have to think hard about it, but you just know that you come back to it over and over and over again? And insecurity. Problem with gossip. Problem with judging others. Problem with lust. Problem with comparing and maybe low self-esteem, right? You just, you just know you fall for it every single time. I just want to tell you, Christ has died. He's given you Freedom in order that you don't have to continue going back down to that evil tyrant of your sin, evil tyrant of the devil. Let me tell you, the only way you can free and break those chains is for you to recognize that there's nothing you can do to ever take God's love away from you. And there's nothing you can ever do to make God love you more, but it's to rest by faith and the grace that is in Christ. Once you recognize your sin and your folly and how deep you have sinned, but know that in Christ you are safe and secure, I guarantee you what begins to happen is a heart that is set free from the tyranny of having to feed my sin, of having to feed myself. and become free to not serve my kingdom, but to serve others. Christian freedom is always, always, always about Christ training us and teaching us to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. And Father, so many of us, I think, are struggling with sin. And God, we pray and we pray and we pray and we fight and we fight and we fight. And Father, I just want to pray for all the silent sufferers in the room. God, that it would be your grace, it would be your patience that leads us to repentance. God, I, I ask that the Holy Spirit would have power in our lives, that we would recognize that because Jesus has set us free, we no longer have to continue in sin. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to see how the gospel gives us the power to rest, power to rejoice. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to all be open and honest to confess our sin, to continue to see how in Christ there is forgiveness. And so Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified, pray that you'd be honored. Help us to see Christian freedom as a delight and not a burden. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.